The framework of healing justice is the ultimate form of resistance where we claim our life back. This is Healing Justice, a podcast bridging conversations at the intersections of collective healing and social change. I'm your host, Kate Werning, and this episode is a very special one. It's different than the others because we are joining 30 changemakers, activists, artists, and healers, mostly from the South, who aspire to center spirituality and healing in our movements for change. We're speaking from the first ever Liberation School, which happened in October of 2017, and you'll hear more about that later. But know that we are speaking from the mountains of East Tennessee at the Highlander Research and Education Center, and that you'll be hearing many different voices sharing songs, resources, needs, and visions for why healing and spirituality is so necessary for our social justice work. I really can't wait for you to hear some of the powerful songs that we recorded in that room full of rocking chairs that have supported so many generations of justice leaders. Yardena Peacock is the founder and director of Liberation School and invited me along with Sarah, Will, Amber, and Sarah, all mentored by Tufara, to be part of this founding organizing and faculty team. And you're joining us at our little faculty huddle gathered around in a small room on the top of the hill at Highlander, talking about what we are seeking in building Liberation School. Here's Yardena. I remember being down in the kitchen at Highlander Research and Education Center with this staff, and we were doing some art making and really like visioning like how we could be our, like, our best selves and like what that would look like. And it was really funny because so many folks, I remember Monica Hernandez and myself and Marquez Ryan all had very similar visions, which was around creating a school that was for adults that centered popular education, that infused art and culture. Um, and at that time, I don't know that mine really like had healing as part of it. But. I think what drew me, like the Seeds of Liberation School, looking back now, I think it wasn't ironic that like you were the first person I met at Highlander when I first came here as an intern. And then I also remember, I think, looking back now, what's powerful about being in this space, but I think Highlander was the first time that the question entered for me, like the activists take care of the communities and mobilize them, but then who also takes care of the activists and how do they take care of themselves? Mm. And I think it was really prevalent about being around these like amazing organizers of all different ages and backgrounds and races and gender identities and sexual orientations and everything, no one really knew that answer. Like no one, with the question of like, how do we actually do that? Everyone could tell me how to take care of their community. No one could tell me how are they taking care of themselves or how are they taking care of themselves in their organization. Um, and so I think that's what, that's like the birth, the question of the liberation school. And then um, I think for me, then going to Claudia Horwitz's Stone Circles to the Stone House, I got a little bit of a vision of that, of like, that space is possible, people can hold space together. But in this new movement, in this like age where 
we are all hyper struggling, hyper aware of everything going on in our country. I think Liberation School needed to be born this year because I think now more than ever. Our people need people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think it's about how we create spaces that welcome all of us. Mm -hmm. um, and how we hold space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm still working through it. Do you heal? Yes, I heal. Do you heal? Yes, I heal. You can even hear the creaking of the rocking chairs in the room at Highlander as we sang that song together, led by Sarah Green. And that song was written by Luaya of the Peace Poets and Deirdre Smith. And it really became a centerpiece for our time together at Liberation School, leading us to ask the question of everyone there and of ourselves, what is the medicine that we bring? Here's some answers. Uh, my name is Sean Estelle. I use they, them pronouns. I'm living and working in Chicago, Illinois. I'm bringing a vial of lake water from Lake Michigan uh, that's charging on the ancestor altar right now and comes from a bottle of poppers that my friends and I used on the dance floor. I'm bringing liquid eyeliner. I'm bringing radical queerness and just fierce sexuality and that connection to histories and herstories and their streets of uh, people who um, like refuse to back down and um, like threw some glitter on it. I'm Shayla Tumbling, um, and I'm located currently in Atlanta, Georgia. I believe that part of the medicine that I bring is definitely around um, healing touch. And I also believe another part of the medicine I bring is around um, compassion mm -hmm. and like understanding compassion. And I'm on the process of doing that more with myself and then in the work that I do, being able to share that with other people. Um, how important it is to have compassion, not only for others, but also for ourselves. My name is Jax and I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. I think the medicine I bring is an open heart. Um, experience with communities trying to um, go deeper with interpersonal relationships, um, with spirit, with decolonization, um, and what that can look like in like a multicultural and multiracial space. My name is Evelyn Encalada, and I live in Canada in the working class uh, suburbs of the greater Toronto area. What I'm bringing with me is um, 
an activism that is fully embodied, that is uh, lived and expressed through all of the senses, and that is holistic, that is circular, decolonial, um, that is not linear, um, a praxis that is seeking um, integration, wholeness. So my name is Bernadette Arthur, and I'm from Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. The medicine that I bring is an ability to listen deeply and to notice and uh, identify the gifts of, of others, the medicines that others bring. I am Judy Hatcher. I'm based in Oakland, California. I think what I have to offer is a sense of humor mm -hmm. and a desire to uh, get back to a place of stability um, and a fair amount of um, expertise um, in how things have worked uh, in nonprofits and organizing and what hasn't worked and a lot of eagerness to, to share and to grow. Lucy Murphy from Washington, D.C. The medicine I bring with me is song and uh, the ability to listen. Uh, not listen to defend, but listen to understand. We also asked one another, what is the medicine you are seeking? Check out their brilliance in response. And the medicine I need is an authentic and transparent community that's really aiming for interdependency and to actual practice justice and equity in the way that they are together as a community. The ability to really slow down um, has been a medicine that I've really been seeking and being able to think and reflect and set intentions for myself um, in a way that I feel like I haven't been able to since at least November. Support um, in recognizing and um, like recognizing the gifts that I do have and support in being courageous enough to like share those gifts with the world. So I think the medicine I'm seeking really is just like a community of people who can help me live into um, like a more heals life and have more agency around healing myself and um, the people around me. The medicine I hope to get is the increased ability to encourage um, people who've been abused and mistreated to step up to leadership. I'm seeking, you know, more tools to bring in my, to put in my medicine chest, medicine box. Um, and I want to leave with a mirror so that way I don't forget myself, that I too am important to the whole, because it's so easy to forget. So I want to walk my own politics and live my own politics. Start with me and include me with everybody else that I fight for. I also want to fight for the right to love, like I fight for the migrant woman's right to love. I came uh, to this program uh, just past the edge of burnout. 
So um, I'm also looking for um, sustenance and renewal from the other folks in the program across this next nine months. So even though Liberation School is its own independent program, the place where we gathered, the Highlander Research and Education Center, was chosen very specifically. And first, this was because some of our team has been part of that community for many years. But even more because that place has been a beacon for gathering leaders engaged in popular education, participatory research, and cultural work since 1932. 1932, y'all. And being from the Midwest myself, it was really impactful for me to gather with so many leaders from the South and learn what I can about what it is to work in the Appalachian context. I learned about the framework of cultural organizing and heard stories from Highlander about the labor movement, civil rights movement, including training leaders like Rosa Parks, Septima Clark, Ann Braden, leaders from SNCC, and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. himself. And there's a deep culture of song at Highlander, and we leaned on that during Liberation School that songs are a critical part of what holds our movements together. I think that for me, uh, being in this space at the Highlander Center and like learning from all of the expertise in the room of the people that we're gonna be with together for the next nine months um, and continuing to learn from one another and then also um, like really being able to dig into like the history of this space uh, and like whose footprints we're like walking in literally or figuratively um, and just being reminded of that um, has been really great and I think that um, it's not a detached history of like we're trying to like learn and aspire to be like civil rights heroes. It's like these were the relationships that these folks had and this is how they supported one another and this is how these pieces were related. And, um, and they also struggled. Uh, and they also were like exhausted. Um, and so let's be in space together. Let's really dig into this, uh, this long work um, of building something. Candy Carawan is someone who has been part of that long work. Candy and her husband Guy have been part of the work of Highlander for many decades, and they follow in the steps of Zilphia Horton. When we were there and singing songs, I asked Tafara, who I mentioned earlier, about some of the history of the songs, because Tafara coordinated cultural programs at Highlander from 2004 to 2015, so she knows a lot of history. And she told me that not only uh, was the person who knew the history of the song Ain't You Got a Right to the Tree of Life around to answer my questions, but that she was actually so around that she lived just down the hill. So when we were there, I wasn't able to record directly with Candy, but I called her uh, when I got home and we had a great conversation on the phone. And here's what she had to say. My name is Candy Carawan, and um, I've been based at the Highlander Center for many, many years, and the work that my husband and I did for Highlander was mostly in the cultural 
part of Highlander's work. I always said we got to do the fun part <laughs> because people coming to Highlander work on very difficult problems and have very big challenges, but the school itself has always believed in having ways to celebrate with music and dance and good food and humor and stories. And uh, So mm-hmm. that's the part of the program that Guy and I worked in, and it's been a very interesting and wonderful life. I came to Highlander when I was a college student in 1960, and I was on an exchange program at a black university in Nashville, Fisk University, and I'd been involved in the sit-ins in Nashville, and uh, so I came to Highlander to one of the first times that uh, people who'd been involved in the sit-in movement had a chance to meet each other and talk. So it was a very uh, exciting time to come to Highlander, and that's when I actually met Guy, my future partner, who was teaching us songs that weekend. So, uh, yeah, that was the beginning. I asked her about a song that we sang together, led by the powerful voice and leadership of Lucy Murphy, called Ain't You Got a Right to the Tree of Life. Here's Candy's story. Uh, Ain't You Got a Right to the Tree of Life is the way uh, Guy learned it uh, in the Sea Islands. And um, I think we mentioned to you that we have a book that came out of our work that's really just a, a collection of people's own words about their lives, and many songs are in there. And the title of the book comes from that song, Ain't You Got a Right to the Tree of Life. Great meaning, don't you think? <laughs> I mean, the whole concept that we've all got a right to the tree of life, I think it just has a, it just carries a great meaning. And I know, um, <clears throat> speaking of how Guy learned it, I mean, when he, he was very lucky to be able to um, go to the Sea Islands as one of the first kind of assignments he got at Highlander, and he was going to be the driver for Mrs. Septima Clark, who was running a citizenship education program for Highlander. And um, Guy had listened to a lot of recordings of traditional music, and when he got to John's Island, he just found himself in a world of very deep traditions, and uh, some of the oldest African survivals in the country were right in that community. Uh, so, uh, when, I mean, many, many of the songs that he heard were very beautiful and striking to him, but he heard, uh, the people in a little praise house there, Moving Star Hall, doing Ain't You Got a Right to the Tree of Life. And, um, the way they did it, uh, it was more like a chant, and by the end, people were up on their feet and they were, clapping their hands in a special rhythm and their feet were making another rhythm and it was just really uh, very exciting. And um, Guy loved the meaning of the song and some of the words, and but he knew he couldn't quite do it the way the people in Moving Star Hall do it. <laughs> so uh, he adapted it uh, with a different melody to his guitar. And that's kind of the version that has been used by a lot of other movements and that you probably heard when you were at Highlander.
Deepened in community and the lineage of struggle through song, we contemplated together what healing justice means, or in whatever terms folks use for themselves, what the practice of centering healing and spirituality in social justice movements is all about. Many of us share our thoughts on what that can look like, starting with Natalia. I think a big contribution of healing justice is an insistence on transforming the logics that we operate under within social movements. Um, so like moving from a place where we internalize like the logic of domination, um, like extraction, where we're trying to like squeeze as much juice, as much energy as we can out of ourselves in a way that's not at all sustainable and ends up doing harm and violence against ourselves and our communities um, and transforming that work into work that is sustainable, that's based on collaboration and creativity, um, and that doesn't wait to heal after the revolution or after Trump is impeached or after whatever, like the big um, dramatic thing happens that may or may not ever happen. Um, 
and that understands that we need to heal ourselves in order to do this work? To me, it feels like a, a framework um, for folks that come from traditions of um, like self-care and uh, an intention on the body um, and also deeper traditions of cultural organizing and spirituality and wellness um, that are trying to think about the relationship to movement building and organizing work in a deep and intentional way. In a lot of our spaces, you know, we're supposed to be focused on um, working conditions and improving um, wages. Um, and then we forget about the immaterial, you know, we forget about how the spirit breaks and that, we, that our politics also has to respond to that, that our practice has to be about um, uh, supporting people in their wholeness, reminding them that they are already whole when capitalism wants to fragment all of us. For me, um, it would mean accountability in every like single way, <laughs> from accountability to self, um, to the accountability of the um, workplaces, to our community, and how like you know I see myself as a Afro-Latina doing this work and from the emotional labor to the to the paid labor that's often not paid to the all the different spaces um, um, of like what it is to like do this work feel supported. To me healing justice means that all people um, especially those who have been disenfranchised um, have access to the resources that they need to heal themselves and to be self-determined and self-actualize mm -hmm. and, and understand their history and their power and get a sense of imagination um, to be central to their lives. Particularly in the Latinx community there has been, I have some role models who are really bringing in their indigenous identity in a strong way and reclaiming their lineage and their lineal practices. And so I feel that is bringing healing justice into Boston, just what they're modeling. Um, and it's inspired me to try to figure out like what my lineage is and what are the practices of the people, some of the people that I come from. I've seen places that have sought for healing, whether it's like tackling food scarcity, there's an establishment um, in Hamilton called 541. They've sought to create equity around people being able to access food um, in a restaurant. So I think that's that's a form of, of, of healing justice just because food is, is healing. Not only is it a basic necessity, but it's healing. And the community that's created around a table where the lines of socioeconomic status and other you know, status are blurred, um, that's healing. There's a way where structural violence defines day-to-day -day life in Mexico. And I think the, the September 19th earthquake is an incredible example of that. The physical earthquake didn't necessarily kill hundreds of people, but the state-sponsored corruption and impunity um, and disregard 
for life and the slow violence um, killed a lot of people. Two examples of feminist interventions there. One was uh, like Maquila factory um, that collapsed with women working inside. It was poorly built and officials knew that it was at risk of collapsing. And <laughs> the government was not very interested at all in rescuing people because, in part because um, not only were they working class women, but also many of them were undocumented women from Central America or um, from Asia. And so the earthquake was on a Tuesday afternoon and by Wednesday, um, Tuesday night, Wednesday dawn, there was a brigade of feminist activists and organizers who were there to try to prevent the government from bringing in heavy machinery um, and, and demolishing, going into the rubble and putting um, the lives of women who are trapped at, at stake. And there was also work um, around healing justice and um, like immediately there were there were rituals and ceremonies um, independently of that. There was also a really amazing response from healers who um, created spaces like drop-in free spaces in public parks and other like community spaces where people could go and get um, different kinds of healing work done, acupuncture, massage, Reiki, art therapy, yoga, there's, you know, a really long list there. As a faculty team, we convened on that last day of the five-day liberation school immersion to reflect on our own hopes and what had shifted and changed throughout the week. Across our experiences and modalities of being Southern, Midwestern, Black, White, Latinx, Unitarian Universalist, spiritual, a coach, an academic, a healer, an organizer, activists, founders, directors, ministers, and more, we came together to really ask one another, what is our ongoing hope for this work? I have a hope of like a lot of cross innovation between the people that we've brought together. First of all, for ourselves, like I've experienced a huge amount of mm -hmm. encouragement, support, learning from working with each of you. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, one of my aspirations is that like that same kind of like cross sparking and cross fortifying and cross support mm -hmm. happens here. And then like that can amplify. Like if mm -hmm. the people that are here are sustained, they can spread that. For me, it's about what I really said before: is how can we, how can we cultivate like an organization or organizing structure and like project that really like embodies what it says it's about. I'm hoping that we find our medicine 15 feet away, mm. and that maybe there's. I don't know for me, I think maybe there's like less innovation and more just like paying attention. Mm -hmm. The vision and hope I have going forward is that activists will genuinely, like Sarah said, stop asking for permission and have centered healing in their own lives and their own work. Mm. And like, and not just like think about it or analyze it or have the tools or resources, but like actually be practicing and do it. If you're going to stay in this work throughout your life, I think particularly to look at the cultural uh, riches that are available to you. Uh, and build those in because you're going to need something to sustain yourself. <laughs> and that was true for Guy and myself. I feel we never got really discouraged because 
uh, we were working, well, first of all, with so many communities of people who were really determined to change the country for the better, but also who had a way to celebrate and to um, feel unified with their music. So, I mean, I would say to young people, <laughs> first of all, there's a tremendous amount of creativity out there, including the young people themselves. So to draw on the creativity uh, that that you find in the communities you're working in and also your own ideas. And then, you know, the cultural piece is going to be different depending on who you're working with, but to look for the things that are important to people and make them feel very strong and just be sure and build those in to the work and not just as a piece of entertainment or as something to listen to, but something that pulls people together and, you know, makes them feel more like a unified body that's going to be strong enough to confront the problems. Thank you for being part of the unifying body that is working to confront the problems of our society together. You just heard a conversation between many voices at Liberation School from October of 2017. And there's an accompanying practice this week that Natalia Thompson and I recorded for you that is pretty simple based on these stories. It's about tapping into the medicine that you bring and what you are seeking this year. It's a great exercise to use for reflection on your own or to talk through in discussion with your collaborators, your team, staff, family, whoever you're with in life and practices come out on thursdays so check it out and download it then try it on for yourself so liberation school centers healing as the connective tissue for enacting the changes that we want to see for each other in the world and applications are going to open for the 2018 cohort later this year You can stay tuned by clicking through in the show notes to join the email list if you're interested in being part of the second cohort. There are also other juicy resources in the show notes there, Uh, information about cultural organizing, about the Highlander Research and Education Center, and also a link that you can donate and support Liberation School. The majority of the people who participated came on scholarships. And we are still fundraising to support the mission of this cohort. So please join us. I want to give a humongous thank you to Natalia Thompson for all of her creative and editing labor and accompaniment in creating this episode. And also to Bernadette Arthur for being part of the podcast team on the ground at Liberation School. The brilliant voices you heard with deep thanks I acknowledge are Shayla Tumbling, Jax Gill, Sean Estelle, Lucy Murphy, Pamela Gomez, Eveline Ancalala, Natalia Thompson, Judy Hatcher, Bernadette Arthur, Yardena Peacock, Will Brummett, Sarah Green, and Candy Carawan. And if you want to be more deeply part of this community in this new year, sign up to stay in touch with us at healingjustice.org and engage with us on social media. 
We are sharing quotes and images from our inspiring guests every single day. So you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. The handles are in the show notes. And also our team is 100% volunteer run. So if you're in a position to chip in, please do so by contributing at patreon.com slash healing justice. I'm always ever grateful for Zach Meyer at The Coal Room for generously mixing and producing this podcast. And of course, deeply grateful for you and your commitment to building movements that liberate all of us on every level. Hear you next week.